All right. Welcome, everybody, to the first connection show of our DC Leadership Conference. We are in the virtual portion of the conference, and we are excited to have you here. I am Cindy Hollis, Manager of Membership Engagement, and I am so delighted to have Lucy Edmonds, Chair of our Community Support Committee, co-facilitating with me. Hi, Lucy. Hi, Cindy. <laughs> we kind of hang out every day together, don't we? We do. <laughs> mm -hmm. So uh, because of the community, every morning we do ACB Presents, the daily schedule, and uh, get in on Zoom, Clubhouse, and ACB Media 5 and go over the schedule. But really, that's not <laughs> that's not the main thing we do, right? So but yeah, we're we on the crew that. together, and it's a lot of fun. So. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk more about that as we go through these connection shows. But I was thinking uh, we've got all of this happening. If you would pull up the schedule for today, um, oh, I thought sure. maybe you could do a little bit of a run through of the schedule before we go to one of our committee chairs and uh, talk to them. So, okay. So we're going to actually start the day at 1 p.m. with uh, Dan. President Dan is going to give some opening remarks. And then at 1.15, we're going to start introducing the new ACB board members elected in 21 and 22. And those people will speak throughout the afternoon also. Uh, at 1.20, Chris Bell is going to speak. He's one of the new um, board members. And Let's see, 1.30, we have the Multicultural Affairs Committee presentation, disability rights and civil rights are human rights and understanding the synergies, the battle for human rights. Wow. And um, Kim Ford Mazrui, uh, Mortimer M. Kaplan, Professor of Law, Director Center for the Study of Race and Law, University of Virginia and Cheryl Cummings, Multicultural Affairs Committee Chair, Seattle. And let's see, 2.15, meet Kenneth Simeon Sr., ACB Board of Director elected. Um, let's see, oh, my braille display, let's see here. All right, then at 2.25, we got another connection show coming up with Cindy and I, 2.45, the Fine Art of Delegation, oh yes, presented by the Burl Collie <laughs> Leadership Training Committee, facilitator Matt Selm, President, Kentucky Council of the Blind, Louisville, Kentucky, and Doug Powell, President, American Council of the Blind of Virginia, Falls Church, Virginia. Um, let's see, we got a panel of Julie Brannon, President of Washington Council of the Blind. Um, Puyallup, Washington, our Otis Basin Chair, ACB uh, Membership Committee. Oh, gosh, let's see. Earlene Hughes. Uh, let me get through this here. All right. Then at 3.30 p.m., we have, we're going to meet another board member, Connie Sims. And let's see, 3.40, another connection show with Cindy and I. And at 4 p.m., sponsor presentations with Eric Bridges, ACB Executive Director. And um, 
at 4.15 p.m. Uh, coyote, uh, keynote speaker, excuse me, Sharon Giovinazio, oh my goodness, CEO of San, <laughs> San Francisco Lighthouse for the Blind and Visually Impaired. And um, then at 4.50, ACB 22, uh, 2022, a year to remember highlights video. Oh, I can't wait for that. I love those. At 5 p.m., we have uh, DKM First Timers Program and Leadership Fellows Awards for 2023 with Kenan Simeon Sr. And he's uh, a board of directors uh, for ACB also. And at 515 updates from the ACB Board of Publications. And then let's see at 530. What's new with the ACB community? Cindy Hollis. That's All right. you and me. And me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's, oh my gosh. Well, it's, it's going to be a, a, let's a fun packed day, right? And I am so glad you read that because now you know how I feel when I'm doing a our trivia night. Oh, yeah. And I'm trying to read those questions. <laughs> yeah, and there's no, countries that I've never even heard of and names and just like, and oh, I'm, I butcher stuff. I know. I should have so looked at it prior bad. to this and I didn't. And I was like, oh. that's all right. It was great. You did a nice job. Thank you so much, Lucy. Yeah, sure. So uh, we do have Jean Mann here from our MMS program. So Jean, why don't you tell us what's happening with MMS and what is MMS? I guess that might be the starting point. Yeah. Well, thank you, Lucy and Cindy. Um, the MMS stands for Monthly Monetary Support. And what it is, it's a, a program where you donate a certain amount of money each month and it comes out of your checking account or is charged to your credit card. I was thinking about it the other night and I thought it's sort of like those, you know, auto pay things yeah. where you designate, you know, your, your NIMO or and that's what we call our, our electric bill, your electric, your cable, your mm -hmm. rent, your church, whatever. Um, and, and it just automatically comes out of your checking account or is charged your credit card each month. The difference is, those places tell you how much you're going to pay each month. And in the MMS case, you tell us how much you're, you'd like to donate each month. So we ask that you donate a minimum of $10. Um, and if you have already signed up and you want to increase your donation, we ask that you do it in $5 increments. Now, 50% of up to 50% of what you donate can go back to an affiliate of your choice if you want. You can give the whole thing to ACB or you can share it with your affiliate. So it's a great way to make a little extra money for your, your affiliate. In New York, we probably get um, a couple thousand dollars each year, which doesn't sound like a lot, but you know it adds up and every little bit helps. What happens is uh, National sends out, um, the Minnesota office sends out a, a check on a quarterly basis to your affiliate with yours and everybody else's MMS donations. So we have a little promotion thing going on right now. Mm -hmm. If you sign up be or increase your donation between now and March 12th, which is the day the leadership conference in-person part ends, 
you will be entered into a drawing for a $250 Amazon gift card. Hmm. So, I won one of yes, those. Yes, you did. Lucy <laughs> wow. won one last year. It wasn't quite for that much, I don't think. But oh, yes, it was. It was, was 300 it? Yes. Oh, oh, I forgot Ooh. how much you got. So, and yes. I, that's where I bought well, she my She hasn't stuff forgotten. To, <laughs> I bought the stuff to, to connect Zoom and Clubhouse for our ACB community meetings. Yeah. Well, that was, oh, that that's was very generous so cool. of you. And I the funny part it. is one of her friends won the other prize. So yeah, she that, did. Yes, yes. So anyway, um, there are a couple ways you can do this. You can either call this number. I'll give it to you now. 888-999-999. 3190. Again, that's 888-999-3190. Or you can send an email to askacbmms at gmail.com. That's A-S-K-A-C-B-M-M-S at gmail.com. And I will get back to you. Um, and I would, I would like you to please give me your name and a, a telephone number and an email address where we can reach you. And if you want to put down how much you want to donate um, and also let me know if you're signing up for the first time or you're, you're, you're increasing your donation. If you don't tell me that stuff, I'll ask you when I talk to you. So then what'll happen after the conference is over and I get everything together, I'll send it to the Minnesota office, probably uh, Chris Sawyer. And then he will get in touch with you and get your credit card information or your checking account information, because I don't want to take that. And he'll make sure that you really want to want to give what you said you wanted to give. And and then um, he'll give you a choice of a couple of dates that the, this money can can be deducted or or withdrawn. And then um, once we have everybody's information in and processed and we get your first payment, then we'll do the drawing. So it'll probably be mm, end of April first part of May when we actually do the drawing. And, you know, one of the cool things about this program is that affiliates are benefiting and they don't have to really do any work. Nope, so not a thing. all of that bookkeeping and all of that is done from ACB. So I, I love that. And then the other thing that I, I love is if you love programs within ACB, and you want to support them, such as community or our ADP, audio description program, or advocacy program, or scholarships, or on and on and on, um, then give to ACB. And all of that goes toward all of the many programs that uh, we provide throughout the year. So, or you can also you can also choose to have it all go to ACB, correct? Yes, you Without can. going. That's to what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what I'm saying. You can yeah. get, you, you can yeah. you can get it have it all sent to ACB, or you can you can yeah. ask that up to fifty percent of it go to go to an affiliate, an affiliate of your mm -hmm. choice. And it's mm -hmm. such an easy. I mean, once you do it, you don't have to think about it again. I just yeah. checked to find out when I was giving because I was like, I, you know, I don't even pay attention. It's gone. I know. I've, I've had people yeah, I don't ask remember. Me. No, I've had people ask me how much and I. But I'm going to up my $5. <laughs> I made that decision. So if you want to go write it down somewhere, I they will. got, they, they know my number. Okay. They know how to get a hold of me. You know so. what, yeah, I bet they do. I, put, me I, on I, the, put me on the list. I have all my um, spreadsheets from previous years, so I can find you anyway. So. Okay. Yes, all right. Yes. Well, I can't. There's nowhere to hide. No, there when isn't. did we start this program? When did it's, we? It's oh, my been goodness. a long time it, ago. It has. Yeah. I don't even know. Um, it was Ron Milliman that started it. 
Yeah, I I, uh-huh. I bet you Actually, at least 15 years ago, more oh, than 15 years ago. Oh, I think it's even ago, more than that. Like yeah. close to oh 20. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah, it's been a long time. All right, Jean, thank you so much. Do you want to give that phone number one more time that sure. people can call? Sure. It's 888-999-3190. And Dan will be announcing this, um, uh, you know, occasionally during the next couple of days, and I'll be back And Monday we will, afternoon. too. We will, yeah, too. Sure. Yes, so, thank we'll, you very But we'll much. see you in a couple of days. Yes, you will. All right. Okay. Thanks, All right. Jean. All right. Thanks thank so you. Much. All right. Have, good luck. Have a good yeah, day. Yeah. Thanks. thanks. And I see our next person's here too. Zelda, you're here to talk about DKM, I think, are you? Always. <laughs> Always. <laughs> Yay. Yay. We we love building leaders for ACB. And Woo. that's what that's what we're all about. I said it's my privilege to serve on the auction committee where we gather money resources for ACB mm-hmm. and and to be on the DKM committee where we we gather leadership, um, people resources for ACB. So um, it's, it's a fun job. Well, so, tell us what you'd like to tell us about DKM. I mean, who is well, DKM? That's one question. <laughs> well, there's Derby a lot of people K- that don't know. Right. <laughs> Derwick K. McDaniel was um, very instrumental in, in ACB. Some call him the father of ACB. Um, you know, the way I understand it, and I didn't have an opportunity to meet the man, but he just worked tirelessly for the organization and, um, you know, really set a good example for the rest of us to follow. Um, and the first timers program has been, you know, uh, around for years, but um, the ACB JP Morgan Chase Leadership Fellows um, we were just blessed with, you know, in 2017, which, golly, that that is a few years ago now, <laughs> but um, we've really come to to count on the generosity of, of the J.P. Morgan Chase um, to to help us to um, to nurture and to send um, individuals to the national convention, which. Cindy, you know, as well as I, that that's, that's where it all happens. That's where you connect with others. Um, it's just a, a really good opportunity mm-hmm. and a lot of, lot of good workshops and, and educational things to partake in there also. You get to see everything in action. And I think that's, that's what's most beneficial about it. But so for those who are leaders and want to be leaders, um, I would recommend um, applying for one or the other. Um, for the first timers, of course, that that means that you have never attended an in-person convention before. And so that's one of the criteria. You have to be over 18, which many of us are. And <laughs> a little. <laughs> a little. <laughs> Several times over sometimes. And and um you have to be a member of ACB, and um, that that's not hard to do either. There's lots of good opportunities for membership. So those those are the the main criteria. Um, but truly, you want to do more, be more, um, you know, put more um, tools in your toolbox, so to speak, in your in your um, leadership toolbox, and learn from others. That's where we find out the most is is from one another. And um, so, the deadline for applying this year is um, April third, and 
we are we're doing it a little differently this year always before you just wrote one letter of application um, this year we're making it we hope easier for people uh, we have an online application that just asks different questions so it kind of spurs you on so you you know exactly you know what we're looking for and um, we still need a letter of recommendation from your affiliate president and so all of you affiliate presidents out there, um, you know, if people haven't asked you, identify somebody in your organization that you think would benefit, you know, um, who has the potential to be a good leader, but just needs a little boost. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, that makes a difference uh, when you when you're the president and you approach somebody and say, I really would love for you to apply for this i i you have potential you know i think you would benefit from this it it gets somebody to really think about maybe themselves in a way that they weren't before Absolutely. and it's really an honor when somebody that they look up to in leadership sees them in that light well, so. and sometimes we take our own talents um, for granted. Right. And yeah. so other yeah. other people see things in us that we, we don't see in ourselves. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. The other thing I wanted to just touch on, uh, Zelda, is you, you talked about the in-person and connections and all of oh, that. Gosh. I remember last year listening to people that were at their convention for the first time. Mm-hmm. And they were sharing about, they were so nervous about coming, right? Mm -hmm. But when they, when they realized that other people got lost too <laughs> right. in the hotel, but we figured it out and we, you know, and how we navigated and it was okay to feel the wall and try and find the opening for the elevators <laughs> or the buttons or, you know, whatever it might be yeah. that, um, and, or to ask for help. It, it was empowering to them to know that they didn't have to have perfect skills, you know, that we we weren't all perfect out there. No. We're all just making it, you know. We all get we all get lost. All, yes. <laughs> but yeah. we it, we sometimes we're we're lost for a reason because we're supposed to bump into somebody else. Exactly. <laughs> we get to, and we run into people maybe we've heard in community. Right. Yeah, really. And, you know, it's like, it's, oh my gosh, is that you know <laughs> exactly you know you you get on an elevator and you hear a voice and 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 yep. like you say it's yeah. like oh is that you yeah you know? <laughs> yeah i ran into dan and leslie in the skywalk <laughs> and i'm like sure what? is that you <laughs> <laughs> and it's so much fun there's something about that and i always remind people that when you sit down in a chair don't be afraid to ask who's sitting next to you i mean because people who are blind we often will sit next to or across the aisle from someone and we didn't even know they were there the whole time and then exactly. you go to leave and you're like darn it <laughs> I didn't know it was you yeah no it's 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 a really great opportunity we we love all the virtual things that have been going on the last couple of years but um there's really nothing nothing like meeting face to face absolutely and, nothing yeah not yeah. replace it for yeah. sure you can't yeah. give hugs virtually uh even though we Amen. try and i, I, I do try <laughs> i try I can, see your, I can see your smile and your voice i hear your smile and your voice yeah <laughs> uh, yeah, but these are really good opportunities. And, and, um, you know, we've had people who have um, applied 
several times, and that's great because there's nothing better than seeing a repeat applicant and seeing the growth, you know, because we'll encourage them to get more involved in committee work and maybe chair a committee and, um, mm -hmm. you know, and those are just stair steps to to lead you where you want to go. And it's it's just a really fun, fun thing. Um, really good opportunity for individuals. The first timers, there's two of them selected every year, one east of the Mississippi and one west. And um, and for the, the first timers, the, the very first year we had 10, but since then we've had um, five. And oh, you mean the leadership the, fellows? Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, that's, yeah, 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 yeah. My my mind went elsewhere. It's I was okay. looking outside. Yeah. Our dog was wandering around. Here. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bright, sunshiny day here in North Dakota, so we'll we'll take it. Winter, winter's not done with us yet. So oh, not here either. We just nope. had snow. Yeah. So, all right, Zelda, we are going to see you back in a couple of days. If you okay. are a member and uh, interested in the DKM program, uh, please consider, where do they find that application, Zelda? I guess that'd be a good question. Well, all you have to do is look in your Braille forum, or you can go online to um, the ACB uh, website, so acb.org. And and um, you'll easily find um, the the link to the application. All right. Yeah. And the letters of recommendation from the president affiliates need to be sent to Kelly Gask at kgask at acb.org. Perfect. All right. All right. We'll see you in a couple of days. Have Talking fun. about DKM again. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for being here. You're welcome. Bye-bye. All right. Oh, I remember have... my first convention. Oh I do gosh. too. What year yeah. did you go your first year? 93. I, 93. Mine was 94 in Chicago. Oh, wow. Yeah, I yeah, was so there you went too. to San Francisco, right? I did. Here's yes, I did. Yeah, I applied. So, okay, this is an example of what Zelda was talking about. Our state um, had a first-timer. We would send a first-timer, and still do, from Washington. I applied in 1993, did not get it. Uh -huh. So the next year I did, and I got it. So oh, cool. sometimes you got to just keep on trying, right? Yeah, see, I did not apply. I just you know, because I figured yeah, I could afford it. You were it and, able you to know. go. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, but, it was, oh, um, I, it was oh. so memorable. Did not know anything. I was so green. Oh, my. I word. was scared but, to death. Me too, but excited. More excited than scared, oh, yeah, yeah. actually. That's just who I am. Yeah. Uh, but, oh, it was so much fun. Oh, my gosh. It was. That was a great hotel in Chicago, too. Oh, the um, Palmer House. Yes, it was. Oh, it was amazing. Oh, anyway. I loved it. <laughs> All right, so we are going to be uh, turning this over here to the, the official start, yeah. but we will be back at 2.25 Eastern, and uh, before we go, do you want to just let them know what is like, you know, the next one or two things on the schedule? Do you want to let them know okay. that? I know we're going to kick it off, but yeah. Yeah, so, so Dan Spoon, our president, is going to kick us off by just giving us a little uh, opening remarks. And then he's going to introduce the board members that were elected, uh, you know, 23 and uh, excuse me, 21 and 22. And then at 120 is our first uh, board right. member, Chris Bell is going to talk. And then um, the first presentation will be at 1.30 with the Multicultural Affairs Committee. And right. uh, that'll take us up to ours. 
All right. Oh, my gosh. So don't go anywhere. And right. I just want to acknowledge the fact that for the first time ever, this entire virtual conference is going to be interpreted in Spanish, Yay. which is pretty darn amazing. So we thank our interpreters. And if you are here and you know people who, for them, Spanish is their first language. Please tell them about it. Hopefully they are, they are registered, registered and can yeah. enjoy this. So I want to acknowledge that and thank Dan and the leadership team for making this happen. Um, you know, just I, I think it's a game changer and looking forward to seeing more of it in the future for ACB and not just for the conference here, maybe convention, certainly some more Spanish content for community. That's what I would love. Absolutely. Wouldn't that be cool? Yep. It, it would. sure would. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, All right. Uh, it's about two minutes out, so I think we'll close here so they can scoot in. I know uh, Travis is going to be hosting the next round and want to make sure everybody's getting their, their things going. So we'll We'll stop here and thank you all. And we'll see you back in about an, a little less than an hour and a half. Yeah. Don't right. miss us too much. <laughs> <laughs> all Thanks, <right>. everybody. <laughs>
And so I think kind of keep that in mind. There's a theme that's kind of running through this four-day presentation. So we'll have the presidents, and that's dealing with and adapting to and embracing change. So after the president's meeting on the 4th and 5th, then we'll have a two-day legislative seminar that will be hosted by Clark Rockfull, our Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs, and our ACB Advocacy Specialist, Swathananda Kumar. So we've got really an amazing four days of programming ahead, but then we're just going to take one day off to relax, and then a group will be heading to Washington, D.C., to the Old Town Alexandria Hilton in Alexandria, Virginia, for a four-day in-person D.C. leadership conference featuring the ACB Board of Directors meeting, an amazing rally at Lafayette Park, literally 200 yards away from the White House and the U.S. Treasury. And then uh, we will be also having breakout sessions, luncheon speakers, tours galore with tours of Mount Vernon, of the White House Visitors Center, the Botanical Gardens, the Library of Congress in the Capitol, and my favorite, a tour of the National Monuments uh, right there on the National Mall. And then on Monday, we'll have an opportunity for all of our members in person to travel to Capitol Hill and visit with their representatives, both members of the House and the Senate. And on Saturday night, we're going to do a dine around night where you can go and network with eight different restaurants in the Old Town Alexandria area and get to know other members of the American Council of the Blind. So, Eric, it's really a fun filled and action packed nine days ahead of us. We have never done anything like this before. Uh, the, the virtual, the in-person, the rally, the tours, uh, and in a lot of ways, it, it feels it's got the contours of a convention, Dan, um, it given does. all the events. Yeah. <laughs> it really does when you throw in tours and breakout sessions. And, and But, I, you know, I think even at a convention, we don't normally do a rally. So that's a whole nother this wrinkle is true. that we'll talk a little bit more about. Um, but welcome, everybody. We're so happy that you're here. We've had base over 300 people, I think, register by the time it was all said and done. So this is really fantastic to see so many of us here and engaged. Uh, before we get a little bit further down the program, I just want to remind everybody, Gene uh, Mann spoke about it during the first Connection Show. And shout out to Cindy and Lucy for hosting the Connection Shows throughout these four days. We really appreciate their participation. But Gene Mann mentioned that over this weekend and next weekend, along with uh, you know, the weeks leading up to this, the Monthly Monetary Support Committee, MMS, is sponsoring and promoting a $250 Amazon gift card drawing to anybody who increases their pledge to the monthly monetary support program by $5 or joins as a new monthly monetary support member for $10. So for that small amount, you can get your name in a drawing. I already heard that Cindy put her, her name in the hat right there during the connection show. So 
If you want to join the monthly monetary support program and help ACB and also help your state or special interest affiliate, you can designate for up to 50% of your pledge to go back to either your state or special interest affiliate. And that number to register for monthly monetary support is 888-999-3190. Again, 888-999-3190. Or you can email askacbmms at gmail.com. So again, that's askacbmms at gmail.com. So hope everybody will, will consider uh, making a pledge and supporting the American Council of the Blind or and your state and, and special interest affiliates. Eric, I come to you today as my friend and colleague there was an exciting announcement last week that you are taking an amazing opportunity as the president and CEO of the American Foundation for the Blind. But at this point in time, I just have to take a moment and say thank you, sir. Thank you so much for <clears throat> your 15 years of service to our organization giving it your heart, your soul, everything that you had. First as our director of advocacy, then advocacy and governmental relations, then advocacy, governmental relations and external relations, and then the last seven years as our ACB executive director, where you have helped us pivot and grow and really develop to what I believe is the chief influencer in the blind and low vision community. So, sir, thank you. And I'd love you to take a moment and just take this opportunity to address our organization. Sure. Well, thank you. It's, it's been uh, a crazy 15 years. I've been looking back on that over the last couple of weeks. Uh, I, I came off Capitol Hill. I was a uh, a Legis fellow with the Brookings Institute, working in a in a uh, congressional office, uh, and was encouraged to apply for this job, uh, and um, I'm very thankful that that Melanie Brunson and Chris Gray saw something in me that that you know they they wanted to have uh, on their team, and. You know, I literally came to work two weeks before the 2007 Minneapolis uh, convention. So it was, it was a bit of a trial by fire, but also I've been coming to ACB conventions previous years because I worked for NIB. And I had, my first convention was in 1999 as a college student uh, and, and a member of the uh, then the National One Alliance of Blind Students. So there was... Uh, a lot of familiarity with ACB that I had and uh, a great appreciation for uh, the, the policy and advocacy work that the organization did. I got to work with a lot of awesome people over the last 15 years, um, members, uh, colleagues on staff, uh, colleagues in the blindness field, that all of whom I've, I've learned a tremendous amount from. Uh, you know, you don't, none of this is ever a one man job or one, you know, one person making everything happen. You, 
you learn from others. And when you get into a leadership position, you must be able to rely on others to complete projects and, and work on important initiatives. And I've had the great fortune to be able to associate myself uh, through the committees on, you know, in this organization, through the board, uh, as well as identifying folks to bring on to the staff who are all wonderful, uh, knowledgeable, passionate individuals that have helped to propel this organization forward to where it is today. The, the engagement and the development, these are two key areas um, that I just wanna take a moment to talk about, engagement. Uh, the ability to engage, you know, with, with lawmakers, with the government, with corporate America, and then ultimately with the membership. Um, th that term has meant a lot to me and is going to continue to mean a lot to me in, in my next uh, opportunity. Having the ability to, to bring people together around uh, certain principles, certain issues, uh, persuade, and ultimately find success, find areas where, where there can be success. Um, I'm so proud of what we've been able to accomplish uh, in the time that, that I've been here. Development. Development is resource development, obviously fundraising, but it's also the continued development and evolution of what we call the American Council of the Blind. A lot has changed, but a lot has remained the same. And as I look back in particular over the last few years, uh, witnessing the ability of the, of the national organization to adapt to the circumstances on the ground, to uh, pick up uh, Zoom, for example, and be able to utilize Zoom in ways that we had not previously ever imagined utilizing uh, a technology of that nature and engage folks who may not have otherwise known of, of us or what we were about and be able to build something uh, where people felt and still feel safe, welcome, and respected. That's good stuff. The development of, of fundraising, being able to, through strategic planning, and in operational planning, uh, build out in a smart way the staff. Um, when I when I took over as executive director, I believe we had five or six full time employees, and now we're we're nearing twenty. So a lot has happened, uh, but a lot of that is because the board of this organization and other leaders have have said this is how we want to proceed. Uh, with the future of the organization and having staff work alongside the members to accomplish more and greater things. And we have. So through the years, I've had the opportunity to do quite a bit of traveling to state affiliate meetings. Uh, first one I believe I ever went to was in New Jersey in 2008. It was a lot of fun, but it's taken me from New Jersey literally to Hawaii you know, from, from Missouri to Florida, um, all over the country uh, to, to meet and speak to and listen, a lot of listening 
to the members and the affiliates. Um, I've, I've had so much fun to being able to do that. And then the conventions. You all have gotten to know not just me through our conventions, but my family. I literally got married a month after I came to work here. And then we had kids. And Eric, we love stuff. those kids. Yes. Yeah. I was actually I was with Tyler this morning for his first ever hockey practice, which is pretty cool. So I'm getting choked up. I appreciate everything. And Eric, we truly appreciate you. Rebecca, Tyler, Noah, your mom and dad, you, your family has truly been the first family of ACB over this past seven years. And we cannot thank you much enough for all that you have done for our organization. And we wish you the best. Thank You're not you. leaving. You're just no, moving on. And moving we've on. got a partner, mm -hmm. I know, in the American Foundation for the Blind. So thank you so much, sir. We do, Dan. And as a matter of fact, AFB has a, a board position designated for a representative from the American Council of the Blind. Katie Frederick currently holds it. Before that, Jeff Tom. And before that, Brian Charlson. So uh, the two organizations are are in many ways, working uh, hand in glove on policy and other issues. So I look forward to continuing to work with you all. And, and thank you. Thank you, Eric. And I know ever, no one can yell back at me, but hip, hip, hooray! Hip, hip, hooray! Hip, hip, hooray! For Eric Bridges. Thank you, sir. Now, Let's move on with the show. Woo, why don't we, Eric? What do you say? Let's do so, that. <laughs> so uh, I, I have to take one moment and say a special huge thank you to Gabriel Lopez Cafati, the Multicultural Affairs Committee, and more specifically, the Hispanic Subcommittee for all of their efforts uh, over the last year and a half to really bring Spanish language to the American Council of the Blind. But today we truly recognize a landmark change for our organization. Again, the word change. For the first time ever, this DC Leadership Conference will be simultaneously available in both English and Spanish, either through the Zoom platform or you can hear it through our ACB Media Network, English on ACB Media 6, and Spanish on ACB Media 7. So thank you. Gracias, Gabriel Lopez Gafati. You're a friend and a champion of inclusion, and we truly appreciate your team's efforts. Today and tomorrow through the president's meetings, we're going to have an opportunity 
to get to know the six board members that have joined the American Council of the Blind Board over the last two years. This has been quiet again and, and an era of change within our ACB board of directors. So not only did we bring in a new first vice president and Deb Cook-Lewis, we brought in six new board members. So in 2021, Chris Bell was elected uh, as well as Connie Sims and Kenneth Simeon Sr. And then in 2022, we had three new board members that were elected, Rachel Schroeder, uh, Terry Pacheco, and Gabriel Lopez Cafati. So we thought it would be great for you all to have a few minutes to get to know each of these board members a little bit better. So at this point in time, I'd like to say, let's meet Chris Bell. Against the light colored background, the letters ACB. Below each letter is its corresponding braille cell. Together for a bright future. Meet ACB board member Christopher Bell with ACB president Dan Spoon. Dan is a white, middle-aged and clean-shaven man, balding and with white hair at his temples. He wears a red sport shirt. I'd now like to introduce Chris Bell, ACB Board of Director, elected in 2021. Hello, Chris. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Dan. Thanks for doing this. Oh, thank you for uh, taking the time to participate. So could you, Chris, maybe just give us a a synopsis of kind of your vision journey and kind of growing up with uh, vision loss and kind of your experiences. Christopher is a clean-shaven white man with receding gray hair and a white AirPod in his right ear. He wears a white and dark checkered dress shirt. Sure, um, I'm one of those uh, kids born in the uh, late 40s, early 50s with retinopathy of prematurity. And uh, I had vision, but never well enough to drive uh, until I was about uh, 18 and a freshman in college. And then um, uh, my retina detached while I was, uh, I was in New York City with a young woman I was dating at the time. Uh, I call it my first blind date. Uh, and uh, thereafter, uh, over many years, my vision deteriorated to the point about 10 or 15 years ago when I was totally blind. And, and how was that challenge for you with the, with education and growing up with, with the vision loss? Well, you know, I was, <clears throat> I was fortunate because I, I completed high school with the vision I had, which was about 2050. Um, you know, I was one of those kids with the Coke bottle glasses and stuck my nose on the, on the uh, book. Um, so it didn't really bother me. And then when, in college, I just had to switch to readers and whatnot, um, but it was doable. And did it, did it impact your decision to go into law? <laughs> no, what impacted my decision was I started out as a high school teacher and I decided I wanted to make more than $7,500 a year. <laughs> Oh, that's fine. I spent just a small amount of time as a junior high school teacher, and and I realized that was not that was not my calling. So right. yeah, it, it's somehow those life experiences teach you maybe not what you want to be, but what you don't want to be. That's right. I've had several of those. <laughs> Very good. 
I, I was also a stockbroker at one point, and I was terrible at selling. So. Hmm. Yeah. Well, we're we're glad you became an attorney because what you did as an attorney has been very consequential to uh, the blind and low vision community. So thank you for your service. Well, thank you. So. So here we are, it's 2021, you decide to run for the ACB Board of Directors. What was kind of your mindset going through that and what are you hoping to accomplish uh, on the ACB Board? Um, I had two goals going into it. Uh, one was to try to enhance what are already very good advocacy efforts on the part of ACB. And I wanted in some way to either help train or uh, motivate uh, and work with people in our affiliates and chapters on advocacy issues, of whatever was important to them. Um, so that was one piece of it. Another piece of it was uh, as a person with multiple disabilities, I knew that there were a lot of people like me uh, in ACB, not necessarily the same disabilities in addition to blindness, but that, you know, disability broadly speaking was a common experience a lot of people just aren't only blind they're blind plus and so i wanted to uh, be involved in articulating that and that was partly why i was pushing for the formation of the committee on mental health and the wellness and now you're part of that committee how how has that journey been as you've uh, been working with pam shaw to kind of stand up the mental health and wellness committee well you know we've really just started i'm looking forward to participating in some of the uh seminars or, or web uh community calls that different affiliates have asked for i haven't done that yet um i did participate in a call uh, at the convention um, which was uh, actually very emotional for me as I kind of laid out my journey and my struggles um, and, uh, you know, was well received. But I, anyway, I'm happy to do that again. And uh, I look forward to being as much of a support to the committee as I can. Fantastic. You surely have been a tremendous asset. So tell me about kind of looking uh, forward five years or so. What do you see as the biggest uh, opportunities and challenges facing the American Council of Blind and our affiliates and chapters? Well, I think the largest challenge from my perspective is uh, engaging our members at the member level. Um, my sense is that, you know, there are a bunch of people that are very active on committees uh, at, at the national level. And there are people very active locally, um, but somehow I don't think we're connecting. I think we need to have uh, a kind of communication that uh, allows the people at the local level to uh, raise the issues that they need and the support they need uh, to ACB national committees and ACB national committees to support people locally and to provide them with the information or uh, uh, expertise that can help them do their work. I don't think we're there yet. So I see it as a kind of need for greater vertical integration and then greater horizontal integration. In other words, what we learn from people working in, in chapters, we, we can expand uh, to uh, other committees, etc. So I think that that kind of engagement is really critical for ACB in the future. 
Yeah, and I know as part of the transportation committee, you all have been trying to kind of come up with what is that right level of communication, right? Is it a is it an email discussion list? Is it Facebook? Is it, you know, is it focus groups? I mean, what, I think it's an ongoing challenge for a lot of our committees. What, what connects the committee work to the greater membership? Right, and, and what I've tried to do is to uh, reach out to specific affiliates and ask presidents to tell me the names of people they know in their affiliate that are, uh, let's say, passionate about accessible pedestrian signals. And then I'll contact that person and find out what they're working on and, and provide them with some uh, support. Um, and I, so I sort of think this has to be done, um, not necessarily person to person, but you really have to dig down and find the champions um, on whatever issue you're talking about. So true. And how do we kind of identify those folks in our local affiliates and chapters? Uh, it's, it's not everybody, but it's those few champions out there that can kind of take the ball and run with it. Well, I think if, if, if people on different committees nationally who have a passion, whether it's special education or uh, whether it's um, uh, mental health or whatever it is, if people in the individual committees divide up the affiliates and make calls and try to identify people that are passionate about that particular issue, we will gradually engage people. But what I don't think works is to send out an email and say, hey, if you're interested in mental health, you know, reply to my email. Well, that, that doesn't happen. So I think we have to be much more proactive. Very good. So today as we're leaving, tell me, what does Chris Bell do for fun? What do you enjoy kind of get, let everybody know the, you know, the, the easy go inside of Chris Bell. Oh, I'm afraid I'm boring. I read a lot, but the, uh, the fun thing is my wife and I, uh, share a book, uh, on Bard or Audible out loud every night. So uh, oh. that we can laugh about that. Plus we also listen to, uh, uh, football, uh, on the radio. Now what, what, what team do you root for? Are you pro college? What, what, what? No, I'm, your... I'm a, I'm a Minnesota Vikings fan. Okay. Well, they had an awfully good season, but it didn't end too well for them. No, well, that's usually the case, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I'm, I'm sure ever, ever upward. All right. Well, go purple people eaters. We're all for you. <laughs> there you go. All right. <laughs> well, thank you, Chris Bell. Thank you for being a member of the American Council of the Blind and sharing some of your thoughts with us today. A logo, ACB in print and braille, American Council of the Blind, together for a bright future. Thank you, Chris. And Chris puts his money where his mouth is, so to speak, because I know for our local chapter, the Greater Orlando Council of the Blind, he has already agreed to come down in April and be our uh, program speaker to talk about accessible pedestrian signals. We've got some folks in the Orlando area that are really advocating hard for some new uh, audio, I mean, uh, accessible pedestrian signals. So thank you, Chris. Uh, at this point in time, we're going to have our first panel presentation of the day. I want to remind everybody that there's two ways to ask for questions at the end of this panel presentation. You can go into the Q&A functionality inside of your Zoom platform, 
And right there, you can go ahead and type in your question and we're gonna have a, a moderator who is going to gather those questions and we'll be able to share them with our panelists. You can also raise your hand in the Zoom platform and our host, uh, Trevor, I believe is our host for, for this session, uh, or Travis, not Trevor, Travis, and Travis will be able to uh, recognize your hand. So uh, we've got a little while until it's time for questions and answers, but I just wanted to give everybody a heads up so they could be planning. Uh, we hopefully will have some time at the end of this presentation for some Q&A. At this point in time, I would like to introduce our Multicultural Affairs Committee presentation, Disability Rights and Civil Rights are Human Rights, Understanding the Synergies in the Battle for Human Rights. And it's my pleasure to introduce our Multicultural uh, Affairs Committee Chair, Cheryl Cummings, now from Seattle, Washington. Good afternoon, Cheryl. Good afternoon, Dan. Can you hear me? I can. You're coming in loud and clear. Amazing. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Dan, for introducing me and giving us an opportunity to talk about this particular issue. So I am so honored to share this presentation with you. Um, the Multicultural Committee has for many years offered cultural awareness trainings, promoted issues of inclusion, and to ensure, and, and worked to ensure that diverse ideas, people, voices, and perspectives are heard and respected within ACB. I suggest to you that all that might not have existed without these two seminal movements which shared and are continuing to affect our lives, the lives of people in the United States and people across the world. This afternoon, I'm truly honored to be able to present to you Professor Kim Ford Masuri, um, who's joining us. He is the Mortimer M. Kaplan Professor of Law and the director of the Center for the Study of Race and Law at the University of Virginia. He teaches constitutional law, ra racial justice and racial justice in law, uh, employment discrimination and disability rights law. His scholarship is primarily on issues concerning race and equal protection. Professor Kim identifies as legally blind and black. Thank you again, Professor Kim for Missouri for joining us this afternoon to talk with us about the civil rights and the disability rights movement. Now I'm turning the microphone over to you. Welcome. Uh, thank you very much, Cheryl. And uh, thank you ACB for uh, inviting me to share in this important uh, conversation. Uh, in a moment, I will be sharing a screen of my lecture notes, and I wanted to share the file, but I didn't see a way to share the link. I, I just emailed it to Deb Lewis and Cheryl, if that's something that would be useful. Um, but uh, uh, Doctor, we won't be able to share to date because in Zoom, unfortunately, 
if we do screen share, it knocks off our Spanish translation. Oh, really? Okay. But but if you could just verbalize, we're really good at following uh, your verbal cues. So thank you, sir. Okay. No, I'll Dan, bet. that's not correct. He is only going to share visual. And so it's when you're sharing audio that it wrecks the interpretation. So it is fine to share a video. I mean, it's not video, it's PowerPoint. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I misunderstood. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. Okay. Um, Okay, so yeah, let's uh, let's get started. So um, yeah, my my remarks today, I'm calling the racial and disability civil rights movements, uh, respecting differences and learning from each other. Uh, and as Cheryl said, these are two seminal movements, uh, two of the most inspirational and impactful movements in American history, uh, that have culminated in important Supreme Court rulings and landmark. Uh, civil rights legislation. Uh, the racial civil rights movement uh, was a mass movement to uh, seek constitutional and civil uh, or statutory rights. Uh, it employed all sorts of strategies from litigation to lobbying to protests and boycotts and uh, marches and picketing and civil disobedience uh, and ultimately succeeded in obtaining important Supreme Court rulings uh, on constitutional equality, uh, as well as statutory protections, most notably the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Uh, the disability civil rights movement was also a mass movement uh, that uh, sought both constitutional and statutory rights. And it learned from uh, many of the tactics and rhetoric of the racial civil rights movement employing many of the strategies such as protesting and marching, lobbying and litigation and civil disobedience, uh, as well as uh, some of the rhetorical uh, claims and arguments, um, such as the uh, observation that much of the inequality and lack of opportunity facing both groups uh, stems uh, principally from attitudes and stigma and ignorance rather than from innate or biological deficiencies. So what did these two movements uh, achieve? I'd like to walk through the um, constitutional and statutory achievements of the racial civil rights movement and then the disability rights movement and uh, note some key uh, differences uh, and then conclude with some uh, observations about how the racial civil rights movement uh, could also benefit from learning from uh, the disability civil rights movement. Okay, so let me try and share this uh, screen for those that it may be helpful for. Okay, uh, hold on, I was just trying to get rid of um, faces blocking my view of my notes. Uh, Okay, so beginning with the racial rights movement, uh, in terms of constitutional achievements, uh, it took almost 100 years after the Civil War to um, finally secure uh, at least formal equality. Um, and uh, uh, the most famous cases are Brown versus Board of Education and then uh, Loving versus Virginia in 1967, which uh, uh, both held essentially that government policies that intentionally discriminate against 
racial minorities are generally illegal. So prior to Brown, uh, segregation was allowed, notwithstanding the Equal Protection Clause, but with the civil rights movement uh, influencing the kinds of cases that got to the Supreme Court and shifts in the Supreme Court's uh, approach, uh, major landmark Supreme Court rulings in the 50s and 60s essentially overthrew the system of Jim Crow. Uh, and now it's virtually always illegal for government to discriminate uh, intentionally against racial minorities. Uh, another principle is that um, government, as well as private, policies that unintentionally discriminate against racial minorities are legal. Uh, so, uh, and this is most notably in a case called Washington versus Davis in 1976, where uh, black applicants to the District of Columbia Police Force challenged a test that had a discriminatory effect on black applicants. They failed the test four times more often than white applicants. And they challenged the test as discriminatory and insufficiently justified. Uh, but the Supreme Court held that uh, unless you can prove that the discriminatory effect was intentional, uh, there's no constitutional uh, issue at all. So laws that have discriminatory impacts or effects on racial minorities do not raise any kind of constitutional issue at all. And they don't raise any private issue either because the constitution uh, only applies to the government. And that was considered and is today considered an important uh, setback uh, on civil rights because it precludes constitutional challenges to laws that have a discriminatory impact on uh, black people and other people of color uh, absent proof that the impact was intentional. Uh, which is very difficult to prove. Uh, and then the third main feature of constitutional developments, uh, and the final one I'll highlight, is that government policies that intentionally benefit racial minorities are usually illegal. Uh, so this is, think, the notion, think of like affirmative action, uh, where policies are designed to either uh, rectify racial inequality uh, or achieve the benefits of an integrated uh, environment uh, and use racial preferences to benefit racial minorities. Uh, they have been upheld uh, on a rare occasion in higher uh, education, but generally they are held illegal. Uh, and in fact, at the end of this uh, Supreme Court term, it's widely expected that they'll strike down affirmative action in higher education uh, as well. Uh, and this is, uh, reflects a kind of um, principle that some have called uh, a classification approach uh, or a colorblindness approach to racial equality, uh, meaning that uh, just classifying people by race uh, paying attention to race, regardless of whether it's to benefit a racial minority or to harm a racial minority, uh, is equally objectionable. So government is expected to be colorblind, the metaphor goes, just ignore race, uh, whether or not it's um, for, for benign or, or uh, malignant purposes. And this is also considered to be a setback uh, for uh, racial equality because it limits the ability of government 
to intentionally engage in policies designed to remedy the effects of historic discrimination that manifests itself in racial inequalities today. So those are the three main constitutional principles. Uh, discrimination against minorities is um, virtually always illegal. Uh, unintentional discrimination is legal and discrimination for the benefit of racial minorities is usually illegal and soon will probably be virtually always illegal. Uh, the statutory achievements of the racial rights movement uh, have parallel, but in some ways um, exceeded the uh, constitutional achievements. So the first principle, government and private policies that intentionally discriminate against racial minorities are uh, illegal. So this is similar to constitutional law with respect to government policies, but the Civil Rights Act of 1964 uh, also extends the prohibition on discrimination to uh, large swaths of the private sector, uh, including employment and uh, most places of public accommodation. So that's a major uh, uh, expansion of civil rights beyond constitutional law into the private sector uh, barring intentional discrimination against racial minorities. Uh, second principle is that government and private policies that unintentionally discriminate against racial minorities are sometimes illegal. So this is also different from constitutional law, uh, not only because it extends to private policies, but also recall for constitutional law, if the discriminatory effect is unintentional or intent cannot be proven, then it's, uh, it's legal. Um, but the Civil Rights Act of uh, 1964, especially amended by the Civil Rights Act of um, uh, 1990, uh, 91, I believe, uh, makes it clear that policies that have a disparate impact, even if unintentional on racial minorities may be illegal. They're not always, but it puts a, a, a burden of justification uh, on the employer or uh, whatever covered entity. Um, this is true in fair housing as well, uh, to show that the discriminatory effect uh, is important for some legitimate purpose. And that does result then in, in invalidating some uh, disparately impacting policies that don't have a sufficiently uh, good justification. And then, uh, and then government and private policies that intentionally benefit racial minorities are uh, usually illegal. So this is uh, similar to constitutional law, although it goes further because it implies, applies to private uh, actors as well that are covered by the statute. So generally affirmative action by um, private employers and government employers is illegal under the Civil Rights Act. There, have been, there are now circumstances where it has been upheld, just like with constitutional law. I also anticipate that by the end of this term, uh, those exceptions will be eliminated. So again, you see the kind of colorblindness or anti-classification by race principle that um, under the civil rights laws, uh, race should be ignored uh, regardless of whether it's to be used to benefit or harm racial minorities. Uh, okay, so um, 
moving to the disability civil rights movement. Um, they made arguments, as I mentioned briefly previously, that um, drew on uh, arguments made in the racial civil rights movement. Uh, this included at the Supreme Court for constitutional rulings, uh, arguing that uh, the status and discrimination experienced by people with disabilities is analogous in important ways to the that experienced by um, black people and other racial minorities. And so they should uh, get the same judicial protection. Uh, and then in uh, seeking the Americans with Disabilities Act, uh, they also made arguments that um, uh, that the experience of people with disabilities is analogous uh, in important ways to that of people uh, of color. At the Supreme Court level, uh, the argument they they made was in a case involving a home for people with intellectual disabilities. Uh, and uh, it was a case called Claiborne versus Claiborne Living Center, 1985. Uh, and they argued that um, just as with race, uh, government should virtually never be allowed to discriminate uh, against people with disabilities. Uh, so with, with race, I, I didn't add this point, but the way the law uh, prohibits discrimination against racial minorities is by applying a very strict test of legality. It's called strict scrutiny. And it requires that anytime the government discriminates against a racial minority, uh, they have to satisfy this test, which requires showing that the use of race is necessary to achieve some compelling government goal or interest. And that test uh, virtually always uh, strikes down the law, especially if it's discriminating against racial minorities. Uh, and so in the Claiborne case, the plaintiffs argued that um, in that case, intellectual disabilities, but uh, it could extend to other disabilities as well. They argued that that same strict scrutiny test should apply to um, the plaintiffs with intellectual disabilities. And they made arguments that analogize to race, uh, saying that you know, the reason the court applies this strict scrutiny test to discrimination against racial minorities is because uh, the history of discrimination uh, indicates that the use of race is so likely uh, reflecting uh, invidious attitudes, um, unfounded stereotypes, uh, ignorance, uh, uh, and prejudice. And so the court should presume every time racial discrimination is used against a racial minority that it's reflecting that historic uh, prejudicial uh, purpose. And so only if they can really show that it's intended for a very important, compelling reason and that there's no way of doing it without taking race into account will the court uphold it. So in Claiborne, they said that the history of discrimination against people with disabilities, especially people with mental disabilities and how they've been treated and attitudes towards them and the stigma and fears and unfounded stereotypes uh, should lead uh, the court to apply a similarly strict test. Uh, the facts in the case involved um, a petition for a home for people with intellectual disabilities, and the city rejected the petition and refused to allow them to set up a home there. 
and so the plaintiff said, you, know, you should presume that they're rejecting it um, for unjustified reasons. You should apply this strict test. And the court rejected that argument uh, and held that disability is meaningfully different from race such that uh, we're not going to apply a strict test that presumes illegality on the part of the government when it discriminates uh, against people with disabilities. Uh, it was a close case, five to four. The four dissenters thought that disability should be treated like race, but the majority said, no, race is generally irrelevant. Uh, it's unrelated to um, any kinds of um, abilities and, uh, and also the history of discrimination combined to suggest that there's really no reason race should be used. And uh, if it is, it's likely reflecting historical prejudice. Uh, whereas with disabilities, the court said, uh, disabilities uh, do uh, in many instances involve differences that uh, justify a different treatment. Uh, and uh, so it's not necessarily um, suspicious uh, that government would take disability into account, even, um, even at the expense of people with disabilities. The court also suggested that while there has been discrimination against people with disabilities, it has not been as pernicious and widespread uh, and pointed to uh, laws that have um, uh, been for the benefit of people with disabilities uh, to support the notion that uh, government generally can be trusted to, uh, to treat people with disabilities fairly. Again, it was a controversial ruling, but the upshot means is that government policies that intentionally discriminate against people with disabilities are generally legal. Uh, the court applies a very lenient test. It just says, if we can conceive of some rational reason to distinguish between people on the basis of disability, we're going to uphold the law. It doesn't require proving a strong justification. Uh, so laws that um, discriminate against people with disabilities are uh, virtually always going to be upheld. I say virtually because in, in unusually egregious cases, uh, the court uh, has shown a willingness to invalidate policies. And in that case, it did. So even though the court applied a lenient test, it said that the evidence in the case showed that the rejection of the petition for the home for people with intellectual disabilities was really based on uh, uh, animosity, hostility, and irrational fear towards people with intellectual disabilities. They looked at uh, transcripts of uh, a public hearing where people were um, complaining that the residents of this home would uh, you know, commit crime and attack their children. Uh, and so the court said, you know, even though we're applying a lenient test, uh, it actually in this case leads us to, um, to strike the law down uh, or the government action. Uh, but in general, laws that discriminate um, against people with disabilities are, are much more likely to be allowed than laws that discriminate against racial minorities. Uh, the next principle, government policies that unintentionally discriminate against people with disabilities are legal. And that's the same as for race. Unintentional discrimination just, according to the Supreme Court, does not uh, implicate constitutional uh, concerns. So laws that have a discriminatory effect on people with disabilities 
uh, cannot be challenged uh, for equal protection uh, purposes unless you can show that the detrimental effect on people with disabilities is intentional. Uh, and that's uh, also then going to mean that um, uh, a lot of policies that do harm people with disabilities cannot be challenged constitutionally. And then the third and final constitutional principle I'll mention is that government policies that intentionally benefit people with disabilities are generally legal. Uh, this is in contrast to race. Um, so recall with race, the court imposes this color blindness rule or a rule against classifying people by race. Um, and so even affirmative action or otherwise policies that intentionally benefit uh, people of color are generally illegal. Uh, with disability, it's, 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 it's different. Uh, policies that intentionally benefit people with disabilities are generally legal. Uh, and this follows from that same lenient test, it's called a, just a rationality test, that the court uh, applied in the Claiborne case, the case involving the home, uh, the petition for a home for people with intellectual disabilities. Uh, although it, it harmed people with disabilities by saying that uh, the court will generally let the legislature do what it wants uh, by applying a very deferential test. It, can al it also benefits people with disabilities uh, in contrast to race because it also means that if the legislature wants to intentionally benefit people with disabilities, it's also going to be just subject to that lenient rationality test. Uh, and that's virtually always going to be uh, upheld. In fact, it's hard for me to imagine a law that would be intentionally designed to benefit people with disabilities that the court would say um, violates the rationality test. Um, so that does mean that laws that, you know, a call for accommodations for people with disabilities are um, legal, where laws that call for any kind of accommodation or benefit for people of color are illegal. And this reflects a, a more of a class approach rather than classification approach. Uh, where race says don't classify people by race, uh, regardless of the reason or the group you're trying to benefit or harm. For disability, it focuses more on class, which group is being benefited uh, and, and harmed. And here, uh, when it comes to people with disabilities, it's virtually, I mean, again, I can't, I'll just say always, it's, it's always going to be legal to um, benefit people with disabilities. Um, because viewed as a class, the court views them as uh, a, a group that the legislature uh, can always be constitutionally entrusted to, um, to be treating uh, essentially people without disabilities fairly when it decides to benefit people with disabilities. In terms of turning to statutory achievements by the disability rights movement, uh, Again, most notably the ADA, but obviously there's important other legislation as well. Uh, the first principle, government and private policies that intentionally discriminate against people with disabilities are generally illegal. Uh, so that's um, analogous to race, uh, and it extends beyond constitutional law by uh, going into the private sector. 
and it's a much stronger protection for people with disabilities under the ADA than they get under the Constitution, uh, where the Constitution will typically defer to the legislature even if they're discriminating against people with disabilities. Uh, the ADA, um, you know, generally prohibits um, uh, discrimination against people with disabilities. And here I mean intentional discrimination uh, analogous to race discrimination where uh, the employer or public accommodation is discriminating simply because the person has a disability. I'm not talking here about uh, things related to abilities um, which uh, might justify an accommodation, which can be called discrimination as well under the ADA if there's a failure to accommodate. Uh, but here I'm talking about more the kind of traditional notion of just, um, even if the person is completely qualified and needs no accommodation, government cannot just refuse to hire or serve somebody with a disability um, under the ADA, just like they can't refuse to hire or serve somebody because of their race under the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Uh, government and private policies that unintentionally discriminate against people with disabilities are sometimes illegal. And this is where, uh, you know, the accommodation mandates um, uh, come into play, uh, where if policies, uh, whether it's hiring or public accommodations, uh, do tend to uh, screen out uh, people with disabilities, then uh, that can be illegal unless uh, the employer or public accommodation or service can uh, can justify the discrimination. Right? Typically, like in employment, they would have to uh, prove that essential functions of a job could not be performed um, uh, even with a reasonable accommodation or that it would impose an undue hardship. Uh, with respect to like educational services, you'd have to show that it would fundamentally alter the program. So uh, this goes beyond, again, constitutional law because constitutional law, unintentional harms uh, are not a constitutional um, problem. Uh, but under the ADA, even unintentional harms against people with disabilities are sometimes going to be illegal if the, um, you know, if the, uh, service provider or employer cannot justify uh, the refusal to uh, accommodate. And then government and private policies that intentionally benefit people with disabilities are generally legal. Uh, and so um, this is similar to what I said about constitutional law. Um, so, you know, under the ADA, obviously, to the extent accommodations can be understood as uh, intentional ways to uh, benefit people with disabilities um, if they need the accommodation, that's generally going to be legal under constitutional law because of that rationality test that uh, defers to the legislature. And under the ADA, uh, accommodating people with disabilities um, uh, is, is obviously going to be allowed because, in fact, as I'll mention in a moment, it's, it's often required. Uh, and here you see an important difference uh, from the uh, treatment of race. Recall intentional benefiting of people of color is uh, generally illegal, both under constitutional and statutory, uh, where the ADA, even more clearly than under constitutional law, um, 
completely protects intentionally benefiting people with disabilities. So it's, I said there was a similar effect under the constitutional law because the lenient, lenient standard would always uphold laws that are designed to benefit people with disabilities. Uh, so the result is similar under the statute, but it's, it's even more explicit. So the ADA actually says that no one shall be heard to bring a complaint that they were discriminated against for not being disabled. Uh, so uh, that is quite different from race, uh, right? As you know, with race, um, white people, men uh, can complain if a policy benefits um, people of color or benefits uh, women. Uh, sex is treated much similar to race. Uh, so there's this kind of requirement of blindness towards the trait. But um, uh, under the ADA, it explicitly says, no, uh, it's completely different. Uh, if you're intentionally harming people with disabilities, that's going to typically be illegal. There's rarely going to be good reason for that. But uh, we're going to say as a categorical matter uh, that if you're intentionally benefiting people with disabilities, then someone who is not disabled and not um, receiving that particular benefit shall not be heard to complain. So it focuses again on a kind of the class, which group is being benefited. If it's people with disabilities at the expense of people without, that's legal. If it's the other way around, at the expense of people with disabilities in favor of people uh, who are not disabled, that's going to be treated more illegally. Uh, whereas with race, it's more of a, a classification approach. Just don't even classify people by race, regardless of which group is being benefited or burdened. And then finally, government and private policies that intentionally benefit people with disabilities are sometimes legally required. So even going beyond permitting it, uh, the ADA sometimes uh, often requires it, as you know, with uh, accommodation duties. Uh, and that's, again, very different from uh, race. Uh, intentional discrimination for the benefit of any racial group, including racial minorities, is virtually always illegal. Uh, and so, uh, by implication, it's, it's never required. Um, so, uh, so that, that's a key, a key difference between disabilities and racial discrimination is the ability to intentionally uh, benefit the minority group uh, under the uh, disability rights laws, but not intentionally benefit the uh, racial minority group under the um, uh, civil rights laws applicable to race. So I'll conclude with ways in which uh, the civil rights, the racial civil rights movement um, should learn from the disability civil rights uh, movement. So I mentioned at the outset that the disability civil rights movement uh, benefited and learned from uh, much of the uh, conceptual arguments and uh, political and legal strategies of the racial civil rights movement. Uh, and the racial civil rights movement uh, could benefit from the disability civil rights movement. And I'll mention just three examples, uh, which have been implied, I suppose, by um, my summary so far. But first of all, policies that unintentionally burden racial minorities should sometimes be illegal. Um, that's not true right now under constitutional law. 
if it's an unintentional burden on racial minorities, it's always legal. I did say that it's sometimes illegal under race, uh, um, disparate impacts, but uh, by the end of this term, I think the court's ruling is going to suggest that even under the uh, Civil Rights Act of 1964, uh, policies that disparately impact racial minorities um, uh, will basically always be legal. Uh, there have been cases hinting uh, to that effect in recent years. Uh, so that will mean that under the statutory and constitutional laws applicable to racial civil rights, uh, unintentional disparate impacts are going to be immune from challenge. Uh, and that's unfortunate. There are many uh, policies that continue to have discriminatory effects on racial minorities, uh, many of which are unintentional, some of which may be intentional, but proving intent uh, can be impossible. Uh, and uh, uh, racial civil rights would benefit from a, the approach taken in the disability rights realm, where um, at least under the ADA, unintentional burdens uh, can sometimes be illegal. Uh, policy, secondly, policies that intentionally benefit racial minorities should often be legal. Uh, so under statutory and constitutional law, as I've mentioned, intentionally benefiting racial minorities is virtually always illegal, uh, even more so at the end of this year. That will essentially impose a rule of colorblindness in both the um, governmental and private sector with the effect of essentially locking in racial inequalities because they will have to be ignored, government and private uh, entities won't be able to respond um, to racial inequality. Uh, but um, the approach taken uh, with respect to disabilities uh, would be beneficial to racial minorities that to intentionally benefit racial minorities uh, should sometimes or often be legal in contrast to intentionally harming them. Uh, it's hard to imagine a reason why harming racial minorities uh, for the benefit of whites would be for a legitimate reason, but uh, there are um, reasons why benefiting racial minorities, even at the expense of whites, uh, serves important uh, objectives. Uh, and so that should be legal uh, as it is for people with disabilities. And then policies that intentionally benefit racial minorities should sometimes be legally required. Uh, just as the ADA imposes uh, accommodation mandates, uh, there are circumstances where uh, uh, intentionally benefiting racial minorities uh, should be uh, legally required. Uh, and those are three ways in which uh, racial civil rights uh, would benefit from approaches taken uh, in the disability civil rights uh, context. Uh, both movements are critically important to uh, expanding and advancing equality uh, of opportunity and dignity for people of color and people with disabilities. And of course, people who uh, live at the intersection of both race and disability. Uh, both movements should uh, continue to support each other and work together. So I thank you for your time and I'm happy to um, entertain any questions or comments. Thank you. Thank you, Cheryl and Kim. And I just wanted to remind those in the audience 
that if you would like to ask a question on the Zoom platform, you can use the Q&A functionality as well as you can raise your hand. So I'll turn it over to uh, Travis. Would you like to let people know how they can raise their hand in the Zoom platform? I think Travis just left the meeting, Dan. Okay. Well, in that case, uh, hopefully we've now changed to a different Zoom host. So who is our new Zoom host? Um, we actually, we should have still had Travis for a couple more minutes. So I guess I am. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you, Deb, for playing that role. So uh, if people need to raise their hands, I believe it's... Uh, I see, I see there are questions in the Q&A. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll deal with those too. Um, Chris, okay. go ahead. Chris Bell. Can you hear me? Yes. Thank you. Uh, Professor, thank you for your very interesting presentation. Um, one of the things that strikes me about the ADA uh, that's very different is that intent, although it can be relevant if you're treating somebody with a disability like uh, people of color have been treated. Um, intent is irrelevant. And in fact, individuals can be irrelevant. So <clears throat> we have, uh, with regard to uh, public accommodations, the obligation to make commercial facilities uh, accessible under standards. And there is no need for an individual to be accommodated. It's not an individual question. It's a recogn recognition that there are architectural and communication and transportation barriers that are exclusionary uh, on a group of people. And I'm wondering, not that I think this is politically likely, but I'm wondering if you think this concept, which goes beyond individual accommodation, uh, could have some conceptual relevance to uh, ridding the um, unfortunate and continuing manifestations from slavery. That's a great question. Uh, and, and yeah, you're absolutely right. The, uh, you know, the ADA can require, uh, legally require, you know, creating and modifying um, facilities to be accessible without even the need for a particular uh, individual or even group of people to demonstrate that they need access to it. Uh, yeah, and when I think about it uh, with race, the closest example would be kind of the disparate impact litigation, which isn't quite the same because it, it still involves um, a group of people having to show that they uh, are harmed by um, by a particular uh, a, a policy. Um, so and. Uh, so in that sense, it's, it, it is different. I'm trying to think of sort of what are the broadest scale. Um, well, again, it's also it, different from disparate impact because um, in traditional Title VII disparate impact, uh, you, you can show job relatedness and consistent with business necessity. So you can have a, you can right. have a situation where there's a disparate impact, but it's justified. Whereas in the ADA, as far as, uh, I guess I'll call it, uh, structural and communication accessibility, 
um, the standards are established and there is no uh, justification. Um, but you have to meet the standard, period. Unless you're talking about, and I'm talking here about new construction. It's difficult, it's different if you're talking about existing facilities. But the point I guess I'm trying to make is that there is a recognition that we can start things new um, and preclude barriers without a showing of discrimination, but rather a showing that there is a barrier which needs to be removed. Right. Uh, yeah, so currently the only thing that would that comes to mind would be there are um, laws like fair housing or uh, environmental laws or criminal justice laws that do look statistically to see whether particular policies uh, tend to have a racially discriminatory effect. Uh, and that can uh, require policies to be, um, to be altered. But yeah, it's not quite what you're saying in the sense that it, it, it does need to show an actual discriminatory effect. Uh, and I think it's unlikely to go further than that in part because uh, in the public's mind, there really is um, an assumption and aspiration that uh, race uh, is irrelevant and should generally be ignored. So um, the, the politics and legal trends are even moving away from disparate impact being on a particular group being sufficient to, um, to require any kind of modification uh, that I think it would be very unlikely to, um, to require kind of more structural uh, modifications um, based on an understanding that they have racial impacts. But, uh, uh, but it's a, I mean, if, if we had the political will, an example comes to mind of the way schools are funded using local property taxes uh, tends to um, dramatically disparately fund different districts that often uh, correlates with race. Uh, and so it would be useful for districts to have to find ways of funding schools in ways that uh, more equitably distributes uh, the funding. Um, so I, I applaud the, uh, the, the idea and the, the analogies um, yeah, a good one, an interesting one, but I don't think politically it would it would be viable these days. And that's what equity thank, is about. Yeah, I think thank we're you. out of time. Yeah, I think we? we've got. I, we're we're going to thank you, Chris. I'm going to allow for one more uh, one more question, and then we'll then we'll end the panel. So, uh, so in the Q and A box, we've got questions over there as well, since we took one from the floor. Yes. So the Q and A um, asks. Why has the same scrutiny not been applied to disability issues as has been to race issues? Uh, it's to somewhat oversimplify what the court uh, has decided is that the strict scrutiny test, which again results typically in virtually always invalidating um, a law that classifies people based on whatever trait is at issue. Uh, the court sort of asks a kind of two-pronged question. What's the likelihood that um, a law that discriminates on the basis of this trait is uh, for a good reason? And then alternatively, 
what's the likelihood that it's for uh, an invidious reason, a, a malevolent reason? Uh, and for the most part, the court believes that it's the legislature's role to balance um, what kinds of discriminations are um, justified and, or not. But the court has decided with uh, a few traits, namely race, religion, national origin, and to a large degree, sex, that um, the traits are overwhelmingly irrelevant. Uh, and so the likelihood of a discrimination based on those traits being for good reason is unlikely. And the history of discrimination on those traits uh, shows that there's uh, a common um, wrongful reason that government uh, is discriminating on the basis of those traits. Uh, so they say, we're just, we're just gonna generally presume that when you discriminate by race, there's no good reason for it and you're likely up to no good. And with disability, again, it was a closely divided decision. I think a lot of people can make good objections to the court's reasoning, but the court decided that, you know, although there can be wrongful reasons to discriminate by disability, there are many legitimate reasons to discriminate on the base of disability, even when that's uh, to the detriment of disabilities, uh, disabled people, um, um, essentially because the court believes there are you know, real differences in, uh, in the effect of disabilities on people's mental and physical uh, performance. Uh, and then also uh, the court believes that the history of discrimination on the basis of disability uh, has not been uh, so overwhelmingly negative that the court should presume that, um, that it's for a bad reason. So there's more likely it's for a legitimate reason because of real differences um, between disabled and non-disabled people, and the history has not been as pernicious, but uh, many people would dispute their version of the history. Well, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for your really wonderful insights and being uh, able to join us today on our DC Leadership Conference to talk about uh, human rights. Thank you so much, Doctor. Thank you very much. Have a good afternoon. You too. And Thank you, Multicultural Affairs Committee and Cheryl Cummings and team for a wonderful presentation. I uh, want to make two quick announcements before we move on to our next item. First, I um, just wanted to make everybody aware that in order to uh, make sure we had a, a good way to present in both English and in Spanish today, our videos are being audio streamed but you will, the, these videos of our board members and several other segments that are video productions will be uh, put, shown uh, over on YouTube for everybody's viewing. So if you liked what you saw uh, and listened to on audio, <laughs> I should say today, uh, please uh, you know, go over to the ACB YouTube channel and these videos will all be available. And I also, um, wanted to, as we were talking about uh, human rights and civil rights and disability rights, I wanted to share with everyone that we heard the news today that our banquet speaker at this last year's convention in Omaha in 2022, Judy Human, uh, passed away today. So 
You will see her later in our 2022 highlight video. And, and please remember Judy for being one of those amazing advocates uh, for disability rights. And now I'd like us to meet our next ACB Board of Director elected in 2021, Kenneth Simeon. Against the light colored background, the letters ACB. Below each letter is its corresponding braille cell. Together for a bright future. Meet ACB board member Kenneth Simeon Sr. with ACB president Dan Spoon. Dan is a white, middle-aged and clean-shaven man, balding with white hair at his temples. He wears a red sport shirt. I'd like to welcome Kenneth Simeon Sr who was elected to our ACB Board of Directors in 2021 from Beaumont, Texas. Hello, Kenneth, how are you doing Hello, today? Hello, Dan, I am doing great and I'm glad to be here. Fantastic, so Kenneth, if you could take a few minutes and kind of talk us through your vision journey and uh, you know how your life kind of changed with your loss of vision and, and uh, how that's kind of a molded and shaped you to be the to be the confident man that you are today. Kenneth is a black man, clean-shaven and bald. He wears a blue dress shirt and a microphone headset. Okay, well, in 2002, I dealt with meningitis, ended up being in the hospital for 89 days. Part of that time I was in a coma and I ended up becoming totally blind initially until multiple spinal taps while being there. Part of the time I was in a coma, uh, you know, things were happening. But when I came out of that coma, that's when I also found out I was deaf in my right ear. So it was quite challenging for me to accept the loss, uh, the losses. And so, but uh, I was able to return home uh, after the hospital and get the care I needed at home without having to be in a facility. So I think that I was able to adjust a little bit better in, in the place of my own. So connecting with the Commission for the Blind, I was able to get some assistance because I knew nothing about uh, blind uh, services or software that I could use on my computer or anything. Um, so it was all new to me. It was devastating. Initially, I didn't want to accept it. I wanted my sight back and I actually pouted for a while uh, because I just wanted my sight back because I felt like I could not live this way. And But it took me being introduced to uh, a support group in my local city, Beaumont, Texas. And and because I chose that group out of three that were offered to me because I knew the lady, uh, so, uh, suddenly she lost her sight and uh, she began to do some things and I heard about it. Uh, and sometimes we choose something that's more familiar to us. So that out of the three, I chose that group. And um, that's how I was introduced to ACB. Well, Kenneth, I, you know, you touched a chord with me there that really what got you started was the need for support. And, and there was an organization there offering you uh, a hand up and, 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 and you took advantage of that. And, you know, Leslie and I had a similar circumstance. I mean, we really got in, involved with the Council of Wine at our local level because we were looking for some people that were going through the same you know, situation that we were going through. So Thank let's you. talk a little bit about the American Council of Blind and the Board of Directors. So you ran for the board in 2021, and I think you ran one other time, uh, and we're so close to getting elected. Uh, so what kind of 
you know, what's what drove you to be a member of the ACB Board of Directors and, uh, you know, how are you finding your responsibilities on the board? Well, I actually uh, desired to serve and didn't know when it might happen. Uh, so for some time, I thought about it and the people encouraged me to do so. After serving uh, as president of ACB of Texas for six years, which would be three terms, and uh, starting my chapter, really doing those things, getting on uh, state and national committees. I learned so much that it prompted me to want to contribute. So I felt like I could do this. Uh, and you learn a lot at, once you get on the board. You don't always know everything that about it or what is to come, but you just have your mind open to learn and grow and just try to find out what you can do to contribute and make a difference uh, with the group. And you've had some really uh, tremendous impacts there. Maybe take a minute and talk a little bit about the uh, mentoring program that you've kind of worked at getting started here this year. Yes, uh, so we actually started it last year, but mm -hmm. uh, actually being that I am the chair of the Dora K. McDaniel Fund Committee, uh, my initial desire was to put a program together to help those who are who are recipients to continue learning and growing after they receive their award. Um, then uh, we began to connect uh, with other committees and uh, saw that there was a desire within ACB and uh, some direction given through a resolution. And so we began to work on uh, some notes and things that we saw that would be beneficial to build the program. And somehow the platform I, I developed for DKM uh, was actually meant, I would feel, to be for ACB. And so we just added to that and we'll continue to do that. Uh, the program is moving forward and I'm, I'm proud to be a part of it. And we are having meetings with uh, our uh, guides and explorers, which are mentors and mentees. And uh, we're just growing together. We're learning so much as we go through the process through this pilot program that began on September 15th and will conclude on June 15th of 2023. Well, thank you for all your service in that area. So let's talk a little bit about the future of the American Council of the Blind. Where do you see ACB going in the next five years? What are our biggest challenges and opportunities? Well, membership is so important. So I, I know that we've talked about it before and we have to place an emphasis on uh, continued growth and we're gonna to have to be creative in doing that. Uh, we know that a number of uh, civic groups and nonprofit organizations through, who are membership organizations are you know, not having great membership growth. And so we have to be creative and that's why I'm continuing to think about uh, options that we can look at. We have to look at some unique opportunities, alternatives, and uh, just be solution oriented. And I think you have really taken a leadership role at being a affiliate liaison to several uh, special interest affiliates. Take a moment and just kind of uh, share with us your experiences of uh, being the liaison for both ACB students, uh, next generation, and guide dog users. Wow. Yeah, it's been a great experience for me. Uh, they all have welcomed me uh, and, you know, especially guide dog users, I must start off with because I've attended their meetings and uh, they just connected me in every way to be a part of their communications on the board and committees and all. Uh, and I'm finding ways that I can even help them through advocacy, even though I'm not a guide dog user. Initially, I wondered if I would be a good fit, 
uh, but it seems like it's working out fine with ACB students. It's been great. Uh, you know, there are some challenges there, but we've actually worked on a strategic plan for 2023, and uh, that's going to help them to have some direction without, uh, you know, planning uh, in the in the moment. And uh, mm -hmm. and ACB Next Generation is just moving forward. Uh, every group may have some challenges, but I'm very proud of them on uh, how I've been able to work with them uh, in various ways, even serving on their membership committee. I joined that group when they first started uh, because I, I, I was in, involved in witnessing the committee and uh, that there was in the beginning. And I just wanted to be a part of that and help younger people. That's been a desire of mine, a desire of mine. And I've actually had many opportunities to work with young people to help them to grow and uh, learn about the organization and other things that would empower them. Well, you, you do a fantastic job as a board liaison, and we really, really appreciate it. So, Kenneth, tell us a little bit about what Kenneth Simeon Sr. does for fun. What's a, what's a fun weekend for Kenneth when you're not yeah. advocating and, mm -hmm. and serving others? <laughs> I've had to make time for fun, okay? And But one thing I've always enjoyed, I enjoy traveling. I am beginning to do that again. That's something I always wanted to do. And... Uh, I did it with my job before, and now I'm doing it with uh, our organization. Uh, other things, I love comedy. I love to laugh. Uh, we uh, people tell me I'm pretty serious most of the time, so but I'm letting people know there's another side to me. I really do love to laugh. Well, Kenneth, thank you so much for sharing your time, talent, and treasure. Uh, as a member of our ACB Board of Directors, and thank you for taking a few moments uh, for us to get to know you better. Thank you. I'm glad to have done uh, and be a part of this, really. A logo, ACB in print and braille, American Council of the Blind, together for a bright future. Fantastic. All right, we're going to now go over to our second Connect show with Cindy and Lucy, and we'll be back at 2.45 uh, to hear the fine art of delegation from the Burl Collie uh, leadership Training Committee. So take it away, Cindy and Lucy. All right. And welcome to the Connection Show number two. Yeah. <laughs> Lucy, yeah. Uh, what I heard, what stood out on that last interview is that Kenneth needs to come and hang out with us in the morning and ACB <laughs> Presents if he wants to laugh, right? <laughs> That'd be fun. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's oh. great. If you like to laugh, I mean, we have some jokesters that come in there. So, um, yeah. Anyway, uh, let's just jump right into our uh, guests for this little segment because we don't have a whole lot of time. They came into our time. Did you notice that? Yeah, I did. I almost said something. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. We're going to jump over to Leslie Spoon Yay. and she's going to talk to us all about my, she's going to be my cohort cheerleader at the in-person leadership. <laughs> Conference, but at the rally, right, Les? Hello, guys. Hey, 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 hey. Hi, Lucy. Hi, Hi. Lucy. Right. Love gonna... Lucy's in the house. Okay, that's right. I don't have much time. All right. All right. Thank let's you, let's hear all about okay, the yeah. auction. Auction, auction. My other Ooh. lovely hat I wear all the time. I love it. I love it. So, auctions coming up. Stay tuned, guys. It's June fifteenth, sixteenth is the appetizer to wet your noodle. And then June 17th is the main event. We will have some auctioneers and describers again. Uh, 
we are looking for items so don't don't uh you know don't be worried we'll be we'll be pestering very very soon if we haven't pestered you already i mean i mean just reached out to you <laughs> so uh, it's it's a lot of you've already guys. pestered me me too Yes, I know. I'm getting, a, I'm getting a head start on pestering people because yes, yes. You, know, you know the deadline is May 1st and that comes oh, soon. That's, yes. that's coming up soon. Wow. I can't believe it. It's, we're already in March. We're going to have a rally. We're going to do all this fun stuff. But May 1st is the deadline for descriptions and pictures. Please, please, please get them into us. Um, the auction committee will be reaching out to the affiliates. We've already got some new donors on tap. It's so exciting. I'm so humbled. It's the 17th annual auction, summer auction this year. It was 11th media, ACB media holiday auction. These auctions, Cindy, I know it takes you back. It, it gives me uh, tears in my eyes and smiles on my face. And uh, It's really you, how you and I you. got to know each other, right? It is. I mean, it yeah. really is. Yeah. Yes. Oh. It, it just humbles me. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I can't say enough to everybody. Um, so May 1st is the deadline. Appetizer, wet your noodle, 15th and 16th. Call me. I love to hear from everybody. Email me. Dan even answers the phones. It's, it it cracks me up. Everybody's always like, oh, Dan's answering. So we put him to work. And then um, 17th will be the main main event. The main so event. Oh, 7 yeah. p.m. Eastern. Stay tuned. There'll be lots of stuff coming out. And if you have anything you want to donate, give us a ring. I get so really, really excited she, during these auctions. Lucy does. Like you know when she's serious. If she if she bids, it's like really fast. One hundred. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's, it's awesome. You know, the fun yes. part about the auction is that uh it's not only fun because we're raising lots of money for ACB, which is exciting and great. But even if you're not bidding, you just listen in. It can be pretty darn entertaining. That is for sure. It is funny. It, it takes me back years ago when Brenda was alive, um, Brenda Dillon, and she would do the fudge and just go, Mmm, this budget's great. So, yeah. yeah, it is. It is a lot of fun, even if you're not bidding. It is. A, it's a lot of fun, and it, and it's a really great way to show your love for ACB. You know, so. Yeah. Thank so, Leslie, you, can you, anybody you. give uh, donate an item? Anybody can give. Yes. Really? Yes, anybody. Wow, you yes, don't have to be have, an affiliate. Or? No, you don't have to be an affiliate. You don't even have to be a member. If you find a stranger on the street and they want to donate. <laughs> 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 That's what I say. Hey, 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 just donate. <laughs> donate, you know? donate, donate. The right. thing is, you know, if you have something gently used, I don't mean battered, guys, but maybe gently used. We, you know, if if you think it's still okay, you know, call me and we'll talk about it because we have taken things that people have, have bought and bought and then they haven't, you know, ever used them. So yes. you know, so don't think, you know, if you bought something technical or whatever. You know, and you're saying, well, I might not be able to donate. Just give me a ring. Call me up and we'll chat about it. So if we can take it, we will. All right. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, girls. Leslie. You we'll see you tomorrow wearing a different hat, I think, right? I think uh, so, yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And All right. Thanks, care. Leslie. Hey, yeah. keep advocating. Keep moving. Oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. And wow. Okay. Save up there, Lucy. Save oh, up. Oh, yeah. Okay. You betcha. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, next up, we're going to hear from David Trot, treasurer of ACB, but wearing another hat, not the treasurer hat right now, David. <laughs> Tell us what you're going to talk to us about. 
Well, I'm going to talk to you about the Braille Form Rifle, but before we leave the auction, yes. you know, I think I'm a trivia guy, and I like to brag on people, too, when they do a great job. And I'm so proud of Les and team because they are the fastest-growing fundraiser that we have. And that's just excellent. You know, it's, it's unbelievable the, the amount of money that you guys are coming forth with to help support ACB through the auction. And Les and guys, a great job. All right. Yeah. Now, let's talk about something that just had an anniversary. You know, like I said, I'm a trivia guy, too. The Braille Forum Raffle just finished its 20th year. Wow. Oh, wow. And has raised over $300,000 for ACB. But guess oh, that's what? Awesome. We gave, we have given back to our members through the Braille Forum Raffle $130,000 over those 20 years. Wow. So, um, you know, I think I'm going to be back with you on Monday. I'll have a little more trivia for you because I love trivia. But let's talk about the Braille Forum Raffle. The Braille Forum Raffle is to help support the Braille Forum. Now, we right now have a maximum amount of 500 tickets. That means we can raise $25,000 if we sell them all. And we've done that now, historically, again, three years straight. We've never done that before. Mm -hmm. oh. You guys are coming out of the woodwork to help ACP, uh, to help the community, which has been one of the greatest I think ways of involving people in ACB is through our community and Cindy and team have done a wonderful job of putting that together for us. Uh, you know, I never thought I would hear ACB crafters, for example, I was a crafter for years and would have never thought that people would have called in for crafters. So when you sponsor, when you go into these fundraisers, you have sponsored this kind of thing. So again, my hat's off to Cindy and team for what they've done in community. Now let's talk about how you can support the Braille Forum Rifle. You can buy an individual ticket, $50, or you and up to four of your friends can split the cost of that ticket and the prize. And then all that money is used for ACB's Braille Forum, but what we give back, I know that's the most important thing, isn't it? <laughs> uh, $500 for third place, $1,000 for second, and $5,000 for first. And let me tell you, we've had individuals win this thing. We've had affiliates win it. Uh, you know, so it's get your affiliate to buy a ticket. You know, it's, it's a good fundraiser for your affiliate if you win. And it's very little out-of-pocket money if you, if you don't win. So you, you've still helped ACB and given us the opportunity to grow our great publication, the Braille Forum, because that's what we're in the process of trying to do right now is to grow it. Uh, you had a resolution that you want it to grow, and we're working to do that. The Board of Publications in their last meeting actually talked about what they wanted to do to grow the Braille Forum. Uh, the board has talked about it. And so with your support through this Braille Forum raffle, you, you can help this happen. Again, it's $50 for a ticket. $500 third prize, $1,000 second, and $5,000 for first prize. And you can buy your tickets through the Minneapolis office, or I bet there's a guy named Alan Peterson who will talk a little bit about it. <laughs> <laughs> he will have a ticket. Because <laughs> he's mm -hmm. known for that, isn't he? Mm -hmm. 
So, you know, Cindy, I think it's I think it's great that we have these and we have these shows to make people aware. And it's great that they know that, you know, through these fundraisers, we support stuff like our Braille Forum and yeah. community and, and all the, the avocation work that we do. So y'all come on in there now. And, and you know, there will yeah. also be a way on the registration form for convention to buy your ticket there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know I am a sucker for wanting to go in on tickets with people. So people come up to me, I really want to buy a ticket, but I don't, I don't have enough money. <laughs> I have been on multiple tickets with four of my friends or one other friend. Uh, and I always make sure I buy one by myself yeah for sure i still haven't won but i know my day is coming i know I, it is i think i'm gonna win this year i i really you think, think so. well yeah. you can win the 500 i want the no, five no, no. grand <laughs> you, you know i've got a friend in new york i won't call her name but i bet you she'll be on one of these calls too uh thanks multiple tickets every year you know wow and, uh, yeah it's, it's just great. You know, people, it is. people have brought into it. We, we had some learning issues early on. Uh, you know, we, we did drop the price down and we dropped the ticket price down and it actually did help. Uh, and since we did that, uh, we make money every year and we give money back to either an affiliate or some of our members, awesome friends every week. Well, yeah. I look forward to seeing you in a few days there, David. Yeah. And, uh, won't be long. No, sure <laughs> won't. Scheduled by flying out Tuesday, but uh, you All know right. it is what it is. <laughs> yep. Well, we'll see you back here on Monday. Thank you so much for sharing. All right. Lucy, do you want to give a quick run through on what's coming up in the next segment? Okay. Yeah. The Fine Art of Delegation, and it's presented by the Rural Collie Leadership Training Committee, and the facilitator is going to be Matt Selm and Doug Powell. And there's a panel of people, Julie Brannon from Washington Council of the Blind and Artist Bazin. Uh, she's chair of the ACB Membership Committee and Earlene Hughes, who is the president of Blind Information yes. Technology Specialists. So, um, and then at 3.30, we're gonna meet Connie Sims, who is another ACB board of director uh, newly elected, and then at 340 is going to be our next connection show. Oh, wow, we'll be back soon, won't we? Yes, yeah, okay, all, all right. right, super. Well, thank you everybody for joining us today, and yeah. uh, just keep listening. And uh, and thank you again to our interpreters who are making this accessible for people in uh, in uh. Spanish, as well as captioning for those who are deaf. We really appreciate that so much. For sure. All right. All right. Dan, Dan are you here? Como esta usted? <laughs> <laughs> hmm, Dan, you're yeah, sounding a little gringo there. <laughs> no doubt about it. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll be back in we'll less back. than an hour. G- so. Gabriel asked how I was doing on my Spanish. So I said, All about all I could do is what I could. Uno, dos, tres, vamonos. <laughs> <laughs> it's time to go. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, it's not. It's time for you to it's start, you my to friend. So. Well, very good, my friends. We'll hear you back right. in just a Thank few minutes. You. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Great Thanks. job.